Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Elizabeth Dutton. Zarin. Nice to see you. Good to see you. You know what's ridiculous? Yeah. You I'll tell you. You want to tell me? I'm totally going to tell you what's I'm ridiculous. I'm totally ready. The name Dick Butkus. Chicago Bears linebacker. Yes. yes a classic, a legend, an icon. Yes. How dare you? How dare I? How dare he? Change your name, man. Why? I don't like it. It's what gave him his core strength. You know why he became the great player he is? Because he's named Dick Buckus. Do you know how tough he's you're going to become on the playground when you're a 10-year-old Dick Buckus? <laughs> All right, whatever. I don't like it. Knock it off. What about Dick Trickle, NASCAR racer? Knock that off, too. <laughs> Stop it all? Stop. Why don't they let me decide? It'll be like in Iceland where they have what, okay. names getting approved. I, I need to be the name approver. Wait, names get approved in Iceland? Yeah, they have like a set number of names you can choose from which you can choose. How does Bjork pass? I guess it's on the list, man. I <laughs> okay. I, Iceland is such a strange and curious place to me. I believe anything anyone mm-hmm. ever says about it. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, okay. That totally makes sense. Yeah. It's governed by magical kites. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. It is. See how that works? Well, that's a pretty good one. I'm going to give you a pass on that. That Thank is certainly you. ridiculous. Pretty although good I, is generous. <laughs> I don't agree, but... <laughs> Now, I have one for you. Okay. You ready? No, yeah. It's the curious case of the two gentlemen who tried to steal Charlie Chaplin's dead body (laughs) and then ransom it off to his widow. 
Okay. Yeah, right? This one was recommended to us by Erin Brooks. She's a listener, and she reached out to us on Twitter. And admittedly, we had been talking about doing this one, but with yeah. her recommendation, kicked it to the top of the list. Oh, yeah. This is also the second installment in what I'm going to generously call Please Don't Steal Me When I'm Dead, the trilogy. Right, because we did uh, Old Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln, we have mm-hmm. And then uh, I got the third one, which I will leave as a surprise, but it involves a brain. Mm. Yeah, anyway. Elizabeth, you ready for some grave-robbing hijinks? You betcha. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Hello, Elizabeth. We said hi. I know, but I just wanted to say hi again. You're a really nice person. So So are you, dude. Hello and happy day. Thank you. This story is a wild one, and uh, it may go off the rails. Who knows? We'll see. I like that. This this story focuses on a criminally comic caper of two 'er ne'er-do-well amateur body snatchers. It's right? supposed to professional. Well, I guess there are professional bodies. There centers. are professionals. Funny you mentioned that. There's a whole body harvesting market. So these guys are like semi-pro. Yeah, exactly. Well, I would say they're amateurs because like they didn't we'll get to whether they get paid or not. Okay. You know, until they get paid, they're amateurs. So they, they were doing this work on spec. <laughs> okay. So there, you know, there are obviously the fraudulent organ donor markets. I'm not talking about this. This is like hobbyist body snatchers. Exactly. Thank you. Old fashioned grave robbery. Now as I mentioned at the top, this story features the star of our show, Charlie Chaplin, or rather Charlie Chaplin's dead body. Now, a funny thing happened on the way to this grave robbery, which is they decided to do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they, they were like on their way to it. They're like, you know what? We're not going to actually steal him. That was the plan, not to steal his body. But, so it was like theoretical at that point. No, uh, we'll, we'll get into it. It was, but I'll just say that their plan was not to steal him and they ended up stealing him. So they're going out. I mean, if I'm driving down the street, my plan is to not mm-hmm. run over pedestrians. My plan is to <laughs> yes, not exactly. set fire to my hair and go screaming through the mall. Mm-hmm. So what changed? Well, it was all kind of spur of the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is getting confusing. So yeah, how about this? I'm really confused. Picture it. Yes. You ready? Mm-hmm. The year is 1978. You're in Switzerland. It's uh, the village of Corsier sur vive how do I do on my, on my French? Sounds good to me. Right? Okay. It's a tiny little village on the eastern end of Lake Geneva. It's early in the springtime. It's March, to be exact, if you're curious. And you're out on a midnight stroll. Now, the cobblestone streets, they're providing a rhythm to your walk. You're pretty much alone. It's dark. It's midnight. Right? Now, on this night, you can see the moon is reflected in the crystal clear waters of Lake Geneva down in the valley below you. It's a picturesque night for a walk. Right? As you're walking, though, the moon starts to be obscured from view. There's clouds gathering above, and you're like, oh, it's looking like it's about to rain. You can, you can pretty much read the skies, and the gathering dark clouds above you, you're like, oh, I need to get back across the village. So you're like, okay, what's the best way? You're going to take this little footpath you know, okay? Now, the village is such that no one should see you. It's just past midnight, you should be by yourself, but you're taking a back roads path, if you will, right? You're going to cut through the cemetery, which, you know, it's nighttime. That could be a bit sketch. You're by yourself, but you're like, I'll be fine. You make your way towards the cemetery and you see in the distance two men working. You're like, well, that's odd. 
it's way too late for gravediggers. They shouldn't be pulling a double shift. Now, you stop to watch them, and you see that they're working with a shovel. One man lifts out of the hole a fresh scoop of dirt, dumps it on a pile, and you're like, okay, so they're clearly digging a hole. And now as you're watching, you start to hear the two men arguing. They're muttering at first, but they seem to be saying enough that you can catch bits of phrases, right? Mm -hmm. And you hear them say that the original plan is no good. Well, mm. what, what the original plan. And the men continue to argue. And you hear one man say, well, we've already dug him up. Oh. Right? And now the other one says, well, they'll still need a second hole. <laughs> right? And you're like, I don't even know what's going on here. The rain, meanwhile, has started to fall and is continuing to fall. And it's now wetting your shoulders, wetting the ground, wetting the two grave robbers as well. Mm-hmm. Now, as they're going, the rain becomes a problem for them in terms of digging the hole. It's the rain is filling up the hole that they've dug, right? And they keep arguing about this. Now, you're still totally fixated on this. Like, yeah. what are these two men doing? But you're also getting wet. So you're like, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to watch this, right? The men keep arguing, and now they say they got to get this second hole dug, and they want to dig it in the same hole. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? Yeah, what's, what's up with that? A hole inside of a hole? What could this possibly mean, right? Now, it's all transpiring in French, but you happen to speak French, so you understand. <laughs> or maybe it's German. It could be Italian. I don't know. It's Whatever. Switzerland. In this fantasy, I speak everything. You speak them all. Yeah. You are the babblefish. Yes. Now, what you don't manage to hear is them come to any conclusion. They just keep arguing about this, a hole inside the hole. How are we going to dig a hole in a hole? And you're like, I, I got no time for this nonsense. I'm getting wet. You decide to walk home. The next day, international headlines everywhere. Charlie Chaplin's dead body has been stolen. You're like, wait a minute. He's in the cemetery right outside my town. I think I saw that. Yikes. Now, after you left, what you didn't see is that these two dragged the coffin that they did indeed steal. And they pulled it out of the hole. They drug it across the now mostly muddy ground, leaving tracks and so forth. And they pulled it to a waiting vehicle and disappeared into the night. Now, what year was this? 1978. And what year did Chaplin die? 1977. Oh, okay, so it wasn't he's like... He's still fresh. Yeah. Is that, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. How fresh, how, how much of a freshie was he? Well, he had died on Christmas Day, 1977. This is March 1st, 1978. Oh, so he's, 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 he's not fully ripe, I If suppose. you open the box, you'd probably recognize him. Okay. Although um, you decompose pretty quick. Like all the fluids and everything start to drain out within the first few weeks. Yeah. So, the you know, not just like, you know, they say the nails recede, the uh-huh. hair recedes, and so it looks like your hair grows and your nails grow. That sure. occur, all occurs within the first few weeks. But now at this point, all the fluids would have drained out and the rot and yeah. decomposition would have begun. It's soupy. So we're a few months in, yeah. So it'd be like a soupy bag of Charlie Chaplin. I'm so with sorry some bones about inside. that, everybody. Yeah. You wanted to know. I did. I <laughs> so always there you know. go. I wasn't going to say that part, but... So You're the, welcome. Now, the two men who were arguing that night, the ones who originally planned to just dig up Charlie Chaplin, they put his coffin, they pull it out of the grave, they set it aside, they were going to dig a deeper hole, put his coffin in the deeper hole, then cover that with dirt, and then leave that as the hole that was open and would look like someone had stolen Charlie Chaplin's coffin, when really, they just buried it a few feet deeper. An illusion. Exactly, right? It's the kind of genius, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, they collect the ransom payment, they let the family know, here's where you can find him dig three feet deeper, and they're like, oh, you dark geniuses, right? Now, the problem with their plan was they didn't check the weather report. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like. So they couldn't dig the second hole because it was just all muddy. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, what are we going to do? So they just took the body with them, and now they have a problem. What are they going to do with Charlie Chaplin's body? Yeah, that is a problem. Right? I mean, original plan, genius, new plan, 
highly flawed. <laughs> yeah. So what do you say when you, all of a sudden, you know, your plan is weather dependent, everything goes wrong, and you're like, what are we going to do with Charlie Chaplin's body? Like, I don't even know, like, what I would do with Charlie Chaplin's body. And, like, you know, I'm pretty criminal-minded, you know? <laughs> but, like, I don't know. These dudes are just amateurs. They don't even know what to do. So they did decide to set it aside. And I'll tell you where they set it aside a little later. But first, I want to ask you a question. Are you a fan of Charlie Chaplin? Sure. Like, I mean, no, I don't like, hate do you, him. Did you like him? Do you like, did you watch his movies? Yeah, yeah. You've seen some of the silence? Seen, You're yeah, familiar with his him. work? Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I'm, like, uh, like a Harold Lloyd guy. Uh, Buster Keaton guy out of, out of the old silent comics. He's my, yeah. not my least favorite. Uh, Roscoe Arbuckle's my least favorite. Yeah, But Charlie too. Chaplin is, uh, you know, he, he just, he, he was very broad, right? And it was like, he played to, to, to children and adults alike, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it just wasn't my favorite. But the guy was a genius filmmaker. There's no doubt about that, right? Didn't he have the, the Great Dictator? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, The Great Dictator. That's when he parodied Hitler, and he does like the, he has this whole movie, right? He has this character, he's like this barber, and he's supposed to be making fun of Hitler. And at the very end, he stops the movie and then he does like a speech. Yeah, it's for a very five rousing minutes. speech. Exactly. It's yeah. a great speech. It's against fascism. Mm-hmm. Now, his contemporaries, Harold Lloyd, um, he was the guy who like hung off the clock. You've probably seen the oh, one where he's hanging off the clock. Okay. So he used to do madcap chaotic stuff where he'd do like a lot of like car chases and like hanging off of trolley cars and ladders balancing. And like he was like a, a, a gymnast, if you will, but his character was called the kid. And so mm-hmm. he was supposed to be this like young American icon of, well, basically the young century, the, the 20th century, that all that go-go energy that fueled the tw- 1920s, he embodied that, right? Now, Chaplin was the opposite. He was the tramp. Mm-hmm. He was the outsider. And then you had uh, Buster Keaton, and he was like the sad-faced clown who everything just happened to him. Like, yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't believe, like, he'd just look at the crowd, the audience, rather, and be like, can you believe this yeah, happened so to me put again? Upon, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the difference between all of them, as I just said, is basically their archetypes. And Charlie Chaplin being the tramp was the most popular because, well, one, he did, like, when the jokes happened to him, to the outsider, because he wasn't the boy that this isn't supposed to happen to, and he isn't the the sad sack that this is like, I can't believe this, he was always fighting against it. And then it mm-hmm. would happen. So when the bad thing happened, it was like, you know, uh, how do I best put it? Uh, uh, fate, if you will, yeah. right? yeah. Okay, now that we've uh, established a little bit about this era, right? Uh, do you remember, you, you mentioned the, the Great Dictator, right? Mm-hmm. The Charlie Chaplin movie. That goes viral off in that speech. Have you seen that like, yeah. online on Twitter yeah, and I stuff? Think, yeah, of late, it's the uh, last, say, five years. Especially when, when uh, Trump was president, people mm-hmm. were pushing it because of the fascism. FDR loved it. Oh, he, yeah. Yeah. he had it played on the radio and he was like, oh, in 1941, after his inauguration, he's like, let's have this as like a rally to fight against uh, fascism. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know why Charlie Chaplin is not a beloved figure in the way that he once was? I mean, he was like as big as Mickey Mouse. And yeah. now, a lot oftentimes, I'd be willing to bet, even some of the people listening, well, have really probably never seen his work. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Do you that. know what happened? No. J. Edgar Hoover. Oh, boy. Yeah, J. Edgar Hoover. Clown. <laughs> so J. Edgar Hoover is like, uh, he's the former head of the FBI, but he is a historical boogeyman who just bedevils so many great people. Oh, and yeah. Of course, he also got to Charlie Chaplin. Of course. Right? Now, Charlie Chaplin was somewhat of a roguish character where the people were like, uh, they liked him when he was on screen, but in real life, he wasn't nearly as charming, mm-hmm, right? Now, mm-hmm. do you, uh, well, Orson Welles kind of oh, summed him up yeah. well. Do you know the quote, the Orson Welles quote? 
like not by offhand. You don't have it memorized. No, you, you know what I'm talking I about? I do. I'm okay. familiar with it. So Orson Welles was like, he does all these great interviews. And so he was talking once and uh, he was talking about Woody Allen. And he needed a, an example to describe why Woody Allen bothered him so much. And so he <laughs> pulled out Charlie Chaplin. And he's like, this guy, this is why. And, and so I'll just read the quote. Uh, Orson Welles said, and I quote, I hate Woody Allen physically. I dislike that kind of man. I can hardly bear to talk to him. He has that Chaplin disease, that particular combination of arrogance and timidity that sets my teeth on edge. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> I love that. right? Orson's just so great. Now, the, he, he goes on to explain why it is that people like Chaplin and Woody Allen bother him, and it's the arrogance, right? So he focuses on, he's like, he is, and he's speaking about Woody Allen, but it applies to Chaplin. He mm -hmm. says, and I quote, he is arrogant. Like all people with timid personalities, his arrogance is unlimited. Anybody who speaks quietly and shrivels up in company is unbelievably arrogant. He acts shy, but he's not. He's scared. He hates himself and he loves himself. A very tense situation. It's people like me who have to carry on and pretend to be modest. To me, <laughs> it's the most embarrassing thing in the world. A man who presents himself at his worst to get laughs in order to free himself from his hangups. Everything he does on screen is therapeutic. <laughs> Orson. Orson. Now, ah, the French. Exactly. Right now, Orson just nails Woody Allen. He nails Chaplin. And yet, I got to say, in this story, strangely enough, it seems not like, you know, comeuppance. I don't mean like that. This seems a very fitting Chaplin story for his body to be stolen. Yeah, it does. It fits in with that whole assessment. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that also that everything happens to him. So, yeah, exactly. Now, although he was married, Chaplin got himself... Uh, okay, so this is in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. uh, this is when J. Edgar Hoover decides to go after Chaplin. J. Edgar Hoover was really bothered by Chaplin because Chaplin was anti-fascist. And not that Hoover <laughs> was pro-fascist, right. <laughs> but this somehow bothered him, and he thought he was going to be a challenge to the future of America that he had in mind, right? So he uses this news story that Chaplin gets involved with to basically demonize Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin's married at the time. He has an affair. The affair does not go well because it's with this young actress and uh, she he tries to leave her she tries to come back to him it, it becomes a whole like nightmare scene and the uh, the actress she goes off after constantly trying to come back and win Charlie Chaplin's heart and failing at it meanwhile remember he is married so she cannot get him to leave his wife anyway she goes off she comes back she's pregnant She's mm -hmm. like, this is your baby. And he's like, that's not my baby. She's like, this is your baby. And so she sues him. When this bubbles up to the point that J. Edgar Hoover gets it, he's like, perfect. Now I got Chaplin right where I want him. He starts basically leaking information to the Hollywood gossip press, and he gets Hedda Hopper and all these people back then to help him tarnish Charlie Chaplin by showing him to be this deadbeat dad and this all this stuff. Meanwhile, in court, it comes out that the blood Tests show that Charlie Chaplin is not the father, but the judge will not allow that evidence to be admitted into court. What? So, you'd have to ask the judge. Listen, <laughs> All right? you know, there are so many other things going on in society that could use some attention from J. Edgar. And then instead he's looking in the... Uh, the old entertainment weeklies. <laughs> well, he's fighting for the future of America, you know? Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's, he's such a twisted clown. Oh, and he always uses any human frailty he can mm -hmm. and then just turns it into a weapon. So he uses this woman's, like, mental health issues yeah. to, to demonize Charlie Chaplin, and it works perfectly. The crowd of the day, the audience that's reading these newspaper stories, they're like, how dare Charlie Chaplin? So Hoover, then, once he gets the people turned against Charlie Chaplin, he then has the FBI try to indict him on all these charges and he's facing 23 years for violation of the man act 
Chaplin is? Chaplin is. 23 years because he'd taken a woman across state lines. The Mann Act forbids taking a woman across state lines, and he did that, so apparently... Oh, my God. Anyway, so he's up on all this stuff. Charlie Chaplin manages to beat this case, right? And Mm -hmm. then he is able to not win back the public. This is the time after The Great Dictator, which was his basically his last big film. Yeah. And in that film, he'd become so political, people didn't want to see his comedies anymore. The world is changing in the war. After the war is over, comedy has changed. People are all about, you know, like a, a much different view of what's funny in mm-hmm. post-war America. So Charlie Chaplin finds himself in this legal fight, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to Europe. Yeah. Now, one of the big reasons he decided to become uh, a European citizen is that originally he was born in England, so it's a natural move for him to go back. Yeah. But secondly, he'd just gotten remarried. He married Una O'Neill, the daughter of the playwright Eugene O'Neill. Yeah, and so that's right. he's in love and he decides, you know what, I'm going to go make a new life for myself in Europe. Yeah, fresh start. Right? And when we get back after this break, I will tell you about what happened between then and him going into the ground and being dug up. Oh, boy. rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60 day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. 
join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible... Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Elizabeth. It's me again. Oh, hey, Zaren. What's up? So, Charlie Chaplin and his young bride, Una O'Neill, they have decided to move to Europe because they've been, he, rather, has been just completely demonized by J. Edgar Hoover and has basically lost his audience. Right. Right? So, he gets ready to go to Europe with Owen O'Neill. One of the other big reasons that I've not mentioned is he also got fingered as a communist by George Orwell. I was wondering about that, the timing and all the, yeah, pre-Red Scare leading up to this. Once McCarthy starts kicking up his Red Scare, everybody is all hot and bothered looking for communists, right? And turns out the English are also doing this over in the UK. George Orwell Mm -hmm. reports to the UK all the communists that he knows. And he fingers Paul Robeson, the uh, Broadway actor and civil rights activist. And then also he fingers Charlie Chaplin. So Charlie Chaplin, for that reason, also decides to leave the country. And the attorney general at the time is like, oh, yeah, we're not going to grant you a reentry permit anyway. And he's like, well, I'm just going to stay over here. So he goes over to Europe. He moves to Switzerland with his young bride, Una. And the two of them have a very happy life. And they end up having children. They have eight children. And then he, you know, after the 19 years together in 1977, he passes away. Hmm, nice, nice. And... And cap to his life, I suppose you'd right? say. Right. Yeah, that's a little brief Charlie Chaplin life, you know, yeah. mostly the controversies. Yeah. But the 1977 Christmas Day, he drops, right? The family decides to have a nice Anglican ceremony for him because, you know, he is an Anglican, he's British, and also he's Christian. A lot of people believe that he was Jewish, but he's actually not Jewish. Mm-hmm. So this is all occurring in 1977, the funeral, the death. Now we jump over to 1978. And Una receives a phone call from the police. They have bad news for her. It seems that Charlie Chaplin is missing. Well, his dead body is missing. (laughs) Now, I've already told you how it all plays out. But at this point, you know, Una is finding out what you already know. So this is in Switzerland. This is in Switzerland. So this is in Uh Corse-sur-Vivier, Switzerland. 
How's that? Good. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. <laughs> so it turned out there were two villagers who were out the morning after you were in the cemetery. Yeah. They also went for a walk in the cemetery and they noticed the big hole and they're like, oh, Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> so <laughs> then they like contacted the police and then the police went out and they inspected it and they saw that Charlie Chaplin's coffin had indeed been dug up and there was these drag marks right. that led to what looked like vehicle marks and so clearly he had been stolen. So Drippings. The, exactly. Little oozings. and So from the evidence available, the police decide, okay, he's been stolen. They contact Una. Una's like, mm, okay. They said, and I quote, somebody dug up the grave and he's gone. This is what the son, Eugene Chaplin, remembers, right? And okay. Eugene's like, well, uh, it probably sounded better in French or German or sure. whatever they said it in. But Eugene's like, you know, they dug up the grave and he's gone. And his mom's like, mm, okay. She's like, <laughs> pretty much nonchalant about the whole thing. And, yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the police, after they've contacted her, and then the, the, everything, like, the, the, the shock, if you will, passes. A little while later, they get a, another phone call, and it's this gentleman speaking in a very strange voice, a comically absurd voice, right? And huh. his name is Mr. Rochette, or Mr. Rochat, or Mr. Rochat. We'll call him Mr. Rochat, right? Okay. Just because that's what it looks like. It's R-O-C-H-A-T, Mr. Rochat. Mm, all right. So Mr. Rochat, right? It's a made-up name. Yeah, anyway. why, it doesn't matter. Cares, yeah. So Mr. Rochat, he informs Una that they have her husband's body, and if she wants it back, she'll have to pay up. Huh. All right. Now, how much would you pay for like a loved one? Like, where's your top out amount? Like, if someone <laughs> called in, they're like, like, what's well, too much? Like, if you're like, oh, that's just ridiculous. Alive or their body? Their they're, they're dead body. Yeah. They're, they're calling up. They go, I've stolen your loved one and I have their remains. And you're like, uh, you know, the thing is, is that all in my family, everyone gets cremated. Okay, so let's just so say... So you're like, all right, with your cremation. It's not them anymore. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah. And I, I, you know, I I don't know. I think I can say that in the abstract of like, I don't know, knock yourself out. Well, I don't care what you do. But then in the tr in the mm -hmm. actual truth of it, I don't know how I would react. And let's say you're a millionaire, like, who was married to Charlie Chaplin. So you're not looking at it like, oh, I got to look at my bank account. Like, so, so if somebody comes to you with some insane number, what yeah. would be the number? You're like, nope, hang up. I don't know. I honestly, like... That's a really that's a really interesting question. Right? It's, it's yeah. an impossible question. There's no good answer. There's no way to answer it. Well, the robbers, they set a price. They're like $600,000. Wow. And so it's like, hmm, okay. Now, if you think about it, in, okay, in 2022 terms, I'll put it in that in 2022 terms, that's about $2.7 million. Wow. Right? So that's the number that they settled on for Charlie Chaplin's yeah. body. Yeah. Like, you want him back? Family's got to pay. We want it in cash. Right? <laughs> so now if someone's like, going to like sell Charlie Chaplin's body for $2.7 there's only one buyer. So that buyer really is the one who sets the price. <laughs> You're not going to go to other people like, okay, Una said no. How much would you give Yeah, me? that's true. What are they going to do if she turns them down? Now, if you, okay, let's say you were to try to like, grab a celebrity and hold them for ransom, a dead celebrity. Okay. Right? Right? Like, taking, okay. Who would you take and how much would you charge? Well, you got to figure out it's someone with a, you know, really tight family that would put, like, who has, like, a big mausoleum? Mm-hmm. Elvis? Oh, Elvis is good. I don't know if Lisa Marie would pay, but... No, she probably wouldn't. Um, <laughs> no, she probably would. She's a devout daughter, I think. <laughs> but I think you'd have to target someone who had a huge, like mausoleum, big tomb. But also think about the fact of you don't want the body desecrated. So some people want to protect the yeah. remains more so than others. That's what I'm saying that if, if it's in like a, if it's in a big tomb, mm -hmm. then they've already put a lot into this. It's an important thing. And so if you can take that and make sure you don't 
mess it up on the way out and break them in half or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I'll throw you back half. <laughs> and then just do it by the piece. Um, and then you can probably spin it around. I don't know. You can get a couple million out of them at this point. See, now, for instance, I've thought about this. And, I'm uh, sure you have. I mean, for the, for the not for like life, but for the purposes that's of why this story. You, that's why this story was attractive to yeah, you. Yeah, I was like, how much could... No, no, let's just say like Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Oh. I'd be willing to bet you get a couple mil for him. Sure. Revered even, figure. You don't want anything to be him to be even desecrated. Even if it's not the family, I could you see... You get PBS to pony up a couple mil. They'll just crowdfund it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For our new pledge drive, For, we need to save Mr. Rogers' body. The GoFundMe to get the body back. <laughs> I don't know what Mr. Rogers would be worth on the black market. It'd pretty much just be PBS and the family, I think. Well, see, here's the but thing. But maybe you could be able to put With him out there. With a celebrity, you could get the, on especially nowadays, exactly dark web, get mm-hmm. the freaky deekies who are like, yeah. <laughs> like, I got three mil. What's PBS got? <laughs> Match me, PBS. The matching donation to PBS. <laughs> Your pledge drive on NPR goes to reclaiming Mr. Rogers' body. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's some creep in like you know yeah, the, guy, like, the Maldives. Who like, just loved Mr. Rogers and like is sitting there in this mock sweater and it's like mm-hmm. I've got four. Million. And he plans to just like suspend the corpse in lucite or yeah, something. Yeah, just they can always be see be able to see him Sleep from any point in the house. It. He's just the central pillar of the home. They'll just make it sort of lay him in the bed. It's a very a rose for Emily situation. Oh, there you go. See? Yeah, I'm telling you. Amateur criminals, this is how they start. This is, you've got to do the brainstorming. Yeah. It, it yeah. takes a lot of planning. Yeah. Now, I, I, all these prices and stuff, I've never brokered a body. I don't know how much the prices are, but like... I'll tell you, I have, and then <laughs> prices are going up. It seems like $2.7 though, is a little high. That's a lot. Like, That's to come lot. in as your opening offer is just like, oh. Anyway, Una's, like, not too into it, right? So, she's a tough character, and she's just like, no. And they're <laughs> like, well, what do you mean, no? She's like... No, and just hangs up. I love it. Right? So, so what's next for these ghoulish body snatchers now that they have Charlie <laughs> Chaplin's body and the one person who's supposed to buy it won't for it? Like, I don't know, like some Hollywood museum. They always put Charlie Chaplin in like murals in yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you could go over and like, you know, hey, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> you want to take it? They would totally buy the body. We got the real deal. <laughs> Forget a wax statue. <laughs> so anyway, meanwhile, now that Una said no and the body snatchers have this body on ice, they've got to like figure out who else they can sell it to. The townspeople are whispering amongst themselves who's responsible, who, who could have done it. It's most likely, you know, an international cabal or possibly a local. Some people, they, they settle on the idea it was Nazis. Well, sure. They're like, it when was in doubt, Nazis. Everybody Nazis. knows. I, one of my favorite parts of stories like this is all the speculation when they're trying to figure out who did something and mm-hmm. all the wild theories that people come up with. Oh, yeah, exactly. Who's to blame? It's always, I mean, like, not to be politically insensitive, but like in back in the day, like there's the saying, like you get to a point and then eventually you're out to like gypsies and Nazis as your, your suspects and that's mm-hmm. when you know you're lost. Yeah, right? exactly. So in this case, they're like, they get to the Nazis fast and they're like, it's got to be Nazis because <laughs> it's Switzerland. It's 1978. People are looking around at some of the elders going, where were you in the war? Right. right? It's still at a time mm-hmm. that there was... You got anywhere. some interesting art in your house. Yeah, exactly. Where did you get all that? With the gold frames? <laughs> and so, now these locals, they know that it's not the geriatric Nazis, actually. They're thinking it's young neo-Nazis and oh, may have done okay. it because Chaplin did that whole great dictator speech and it's, at that time, very popular also. Yeah. They weren't, like, going viral online, but people were sharing it. It was something that was known. So they thought, oh, it's probably, <laughs> probably young Nazis. Printouts of it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Reading it to each other in the town square. Holding up the film to the light. <laughs> Pay, yeah, exactly. 
also, the other thing is they th- people thought the chaplain was Jewish. So they thought, well, maybe the Nazis did oh, it to desecrate okay. the grave. Okay. But he's not. He's an Ang- Anglican. Yeah. So not the young Nazis, not the old Nazis. They move on. Who else is it? They keep trying to point the finger around town. Baby Nazis. <laughs> but we know who it is. It's Mr. Rochat. Yeah, but so who is Mr. Rochat, <laughs> right? Well, the police are also curious about this. They go out and investigate the crime scene, and they come to the conclusion that it's possibly two men. Or, or maybe three men. In a trench coat. There's a possibility it's also four men. That's, <laughs> this is what they come up with. They're like, based on what we have, because it's, remember, the crime scene's muddy. So they're just looking at all these muddy footprints. They're like, could be two, maybe three, possibly four men. And they're like, Thank, that thanks, really guys. That really narrows it down. Really solid police work, right? Meanwhile, Mr. Rochad is over there sweating bullets about how he's going to get paid. So he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to call back. So he calls Una back, and he's like, it is me, Mr. Rothschild, or whatever his absurd I voice sounded lo- like. Wait, do it again. It is me, Mr. Rothschild. <laughs> so Mr. Rothschild calls the house, and they're like, he's like, I have Charlie Chaplin's body still. I want my money. And they're like, okay, Mr. Rothschild. Senior Winston Smith is this? <laughs> I don't know. So that's Mr. Rothschild for okay. Were so, you, Mr. Rothschild? <laughs> I was just saying I may have known him. So Una's like, I, I don't have time for this. So yeah, I, I wouldn't either. I'm she listens for a while. She hangs up the phone, right? She's, She's like, such a baller. I love her. <laughs> I thought you would like her. So then all of a sudden, like five minutes pass, phone rings. Ring, 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 ring. She's like, oh, my God, if it's him. She picks up the phone. Yes, it's me, Mr. Rochad again. Why do not hang up? And she's like, all right, all right. What? What's the deal? He's like, I have the body. She's like, just hands the phone to one of the kids. So here, you listen to this. Yes. The kids are passing the phone around them. They're loving it. They're like, this guy's got the best voice you got to He's like, I demand my money. I want it delivered to me on the under a full moon. And she's like, they're like, oh, okay, man. Anyway, the kids are just tickled pink, right? Una's like, I don't have time for this. And now Eugene Chaplin, he talks about this numerous times. There's all sorts of interviews we can tie him talking about it. He particularly focused on the voice. He found it hilarious. Out of all the stuff he remembers about this, is probably the thing he remembers oh, best say, is yeah. this voice, right? Well, this voice also is, is pretty much disallowing Una to take him seriously at all. Because remember, she was married to Charlie Chaplin. She was married to a comic. So yeah. those is all like, she's prepared for ridiculousness. Right, right. So, right. What if it's not a put-on voice? She's just being actual, ableist. That's his actual voice. Yeah. Well, apparently it was so ridiculous, everybody knew that like, there is no way anyone yeah, speaks like this. Yeah, the shifting accent, I think, that's, that's, yeah, that was is, me. A, is a good one. I yeah. know that's you, but I mean, I think that's always a good tell when someone's faking it. Well, so Mr. Rochat, well, he's got to win them over because he's got Charlie Chaplin's body just moldering somewhere <laughs> And he's like, I'm not getting paid for this. I need to be pushing product. So he's like, how do I make this happen? He goes and he's like, okay, I'm going to brainstorm. I got it. I need her to believe I have the body. So he goes out. They dig up the body where they have it stored. They take a picture of it. And then they put the body back. They send a picture to the newspaper. The newspaper Mm -hmm. prints up the photo. Oh, wow. Whoa. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, Charlie Chaplin's body has been discovered and we get a, we got a contact from the ransom team. And then they're like, so Una's like, oh man, now they're making an international event. She's going to be a publicity. So That's she, a gnarly photo to put in the paper. Oh, just the d- casket next to a hole? Was it just the casket it was or was the, it open? It was the casket. Just the coffin oh, next to a hole in a. I like, thought it was like, say cheese. And he's just all teeth, anyways. <laughs> 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 they're and like then propping they're running up it the on body. the front page just and skeleton arm around one of their shoulders. <laughs> it's like all weekend at Bernie style. She just doesn't care. She's like, oh god, now she's like, I've seen worse. 
Oh, my oh so boy. Charlie Chaplin's coffin is there, like, you know, on the newspaper. Una's now convinced this is a problem she's going to have to deal with. She's got to protect her kids from this, right? So she's like, okay. The phone calls happen again. She's like, give me the phone. It is me, Mr. Rocha. I see you saw my photo. And she's like, she's like, all right, what was the, what was the price you, you said? $600,000? He's like, that is right. And she's like, okay. So then it's like, okay, I won't pay that. He's like, what? I do not see the photo. And she's like, I'll, I'll pay less. She's like, he's like, how much will you pay? And so they start haggling over Charlie Chaplin's dead body. Right now, he's like getting really frustrated. She's like not offering enough. She's like, I will hurt the children if you do not pay me enough. Oh, she's like, now imagine this guy, the ridiculous voice threatening your children. And you're like, okay, this guy's not serious yeah. at all. I know yeah. he's, he's desperate. She's, she's like, okay, well, call me back when you come up with a non-ridiculous price and she hangs mm-hmm. up on him again. Mm-hmm. You gotta, when people get like that, the all aggressive, you gotta just, you gotta counter with, all right, come on over. Let's do this. Exactly. I mean, well, they're like over there haggling. And then you gotta arm all the children. <laughs> and then they're ready. And you're like, come with it. And then he shows up and the kids just beat him to death. I just like, I had this image of him, like Mr. Roach had on the phone, like, Mom, what will it take to put you on Charlie Chaplin's coffin and get you off my lot today? I want to, this, he bangs the top of the coffin. This model has number one comic for you. Anyway, the grave robbers. I love that you're doing it where it's like Eastern European meets <laughs> south of the border. <laughs> yeah, it's non-specific. <laughs> exactly. Like, With a little Peter Laurie in there. Exactly. <laughs> now, so the grave robbers, because they're getting, they've they, they tried to haggle with Una, and she's like, she tries well, no, to. one has. The yeah. rest of them are probably sitting in that room while he's geeking out on the phone with them, <laughs> being like, oh, my God. You're embarrassing us. Stop, stop it. Tone it down. We're, Take it down a notch. We talked about this, remember? You were going to do less this time. <laughs> so anyway, the grave robbers decide Una's not taking them seriously, so Mr. Rochak calls the family lawyer. And he's like, <laughs> it is me, Mr. Rochak. Do you have authority to discuss the body? I have paid payments to talk about. And the, the lawyer's like, oh, let me talk to Una. So he talks to Una, and then Mr. Rochak just keeps calling the lawyer, trying to haggle with him, right? It ends up, this takes months, by the way. <laughs> and this ends up, he calls the lawyer and Una 27 times. Oh my God. Yeah. So 27 times you hear that voice or a voice like it. <laughs> and so, meanwhile, the only thing that Una is saying about all of this publicly is that, quote, Charlie would have thought it rather ridiculous. Yes, that's, that's true. That's the only thing that she's saying publicly. She's got... Everything in perspective. Now, the best part to me is is the police response, which I haven't really gotten into yet. Mm. Now, the police, they come up with a series of plans to uh, try to capture these guys. Mm -hmm. And let's just say they're local Swiss police, and this task is above their pay grade. Okay. And after this quick break, I will tell you all about how they spectacularly and humorously fail. Oh, boy. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. 
with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible... Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
So now Una has been frustrating the kidnappers mm-hmm. because she like haggles with them. She's got the price down, but they never settled on her price. And the kidnappers are like getting so frustrated. They go to the lawyer. The lawyer is like, okay, I'll talk price with you. It's after 27 phone calls. <laughs> they get it down to where they finally establish how much they'll pay to get Charlie Chaplin's body back. And the police are like, perfect. We're going to use that as our opportunity to grab them. So tell them you'll you'll do it. She's like... Fine. Next time he calls. And so cool he waits. Customer. All of a sudden, phone call. Bring, bring. <laughs> it's me, Mr. Rothschild. she's like, yes, I knew who it was. $100,000. I'll pay $100,000. And he's like, perfect. That's more than I had yesterday. Basically, she's paying him 100 Gs to stop oh, calling. Exactly. <laughs> She doesn't want the body back at all. I don't care. Whatever like, you're going to do, Just put it in a bag, else. throw it in a river. I don't just care. never call this number again. <laughs> so the cops are like, okay, we're going to run a sting operation. This mm. is this is going to go great. So, <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> the sting operation is, Una, when she talks to Mr. Rochette, she said, I'll have my chauffeur come out. He'll meet you. He'll give you the $100,000. You give him the coffin, slide it in the back of our Rolls Royce, and he'll drive back. Okay. And they're like, no, 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 no. Wait, stop for a second. I'm going to pull up in the Rolls Royce. You're uh-huh. going to throw a coffin <laughs> in the back. Yeah, after I give you $100,000. <laughs> this is so preposterous. Now, you may be wondering, wh- where where's the cop part of this? Yeah. Cops yeah. are like, we're going to be the chauffeur. So they have the regular chauffeur sit this one out. And then they have like, you know, I don't know, like Monsieur Pete. He comes in. He has... <laughs> He, he takes the chauffeur's cap and he's like, I've got this one, right? And so he's still wearing his uniform, but just puts the yeah, exactly. Cap. It really comes down to the hat. That's all that's when you, all that matters. When you read the stories, they talk about how he had the hat. Like, oh. That was it. He had the chauffeur's hat. <laughs> Who wouldn't believe him? Well, hell. He's... So he's going to sit there in the Rolls Royce, drive out and meet him, right? So pretty solid plan. And then when the kidnappers come out, you know, the body kidnappers come out, they say, hey, we have it to give us the money. He goes, oh, I'm a cop. Surprise. You busted. <laughs> Boom, arrested. Yeah, that's the plan, right? So foolproof, right? For sure. This one is not weather dependent, so they at least have that (laughs) going for them, right? So what they don't count on, though, is the local postman. Hmm. Yeah, right? No one ever counts on the post. Post, I'm telling you, postal workers, I'm a huge fan. Oh, yeah. The show is big fans of the yes. Postal Service of all countries, mind yes, you. Yes, exactly. So this uh, undercover cop chauffeur, he drives up, and he's waiting at the drop site, and uh, he catches the attention of the local letter carrier. They're like, he's not the right driver. I know the driver. That's not him. So the letter carrier starts watching and thinks this is very suspicious. Because remember, everybody knows Charlie Chaplin's body is missing. Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to help the police. <laughs> See <laughs> something, say something. Exactly. There In this case, do something. Right. So the letter carrier starts following the car and just kind of like ambling around, waiting to like, you know, it takes a long time delivering the packages on that side of the street. And so then, he's tailing the perp. He's tailing the perp, exactly. <laughs> Un- undercover. So now we have the undercover being, cover- being covered by an undercover mailman. <laughs> so then eventually when the, the uh, undercover cop chauffeur thinks that he sees the uh, kidnappers arriving, he gets out of the car and then... He starts walking down the street to like the actual drop site, and he's like, and everything. It's like not too far. He's just like getting out of the car, and then the letter carrier turns around and starts following him. He mm-hmm. notices this, and he's like, "Aha! It's a kidnapper!" He turns around. I arrest you. <laughs> Say arrest. <laughs> so he, he arrests the letter. 
Yeah, he arrests the letter carrier, and uh, turns out he's not involved. <laughs> and the oh. letter carrier's like, citizens arrest back at you. Well, the letter carrier's suspicions were accurate. That yeah. is not the correct chauffeur. Right. They were accurate. But uh, anyway, the kidnappers see all this apparently, and they decide <laughs> they cut. So Mr. Rochat does not make his appearance, right? Now, <laughs> at this point, the kidna- body kidnappers, they've got to figure out a way to arrange a new drop site that's not going to get them busted, right? So yeah. they're like, this is getting so problematic, right? So <laughs> Problematic. Oh, sorry. May we. <laughs> now, the uh, Chaplin family phone is not ringing so much anymore because Mr. Roach had his, has his, his agreement, but now mm-hmm. he doesn't. So, bring, bring. No, no. It is me, Mr. Roach. We need to make no drop site. <laughs> and so the family. Well, he's, he's now he's sort of Gilbert Godfrey. He he wanders. He, he's a very movable man. I'm telling you, you can't he's pin this guy down. Tease. So Mr. Rochad calls up, and they're like, "Okay, uh, call back when, when mom's here, and we'll uh, set up a drop site." <laughs> so the police get this, and they know that Mr. Rochad's going to call back soon. So they're like, "Okay, we need to uh, bug the phone." So they're going to bug the phone, but not just that phone. They're going to tap all the phones in the area because they think he's using a payphone, and they think he's a local. So they oh. tap 200 payphones. What? Yeah. Tap 200 payphones. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know how you do that no, clandestinely. I don't know <laughs> but apparently they manage, and it works. This oh. works. One of the uh, kidnappers goes to use a payphone, and the police jump out, and they're like, Jarrett. Did I get it right that time? <laughs> sure, huh? close enough. Yeah, anyway, close so enough for government work. They uh, catch one of the Charlie Chaplin body snatchers, and they're mm-hmm. like, You are under arrest. And he's like, Oh, man, you got me. <laughs> and then they go and they and then they, he admits who he is, and they go and they, they go out to the hideout and they get his partner. Turns out it was just two of them. Oh. Right? Yeah, so it's just two. And uh, they tell the police, Hey, we'll show you where Charlie Chaplin's body is buried. And they're like, Why did you do this? They're like, We needed the money, man. They're like, what do you mean you need the money? We're like, we're political prisoners. They're oh. like, what? They're like, political refugees. Sorry, I'm, my French is not so good. <laughs> like, so it turns out Mr. Rochat and his amateur partner are political refugees. From? Oh, you want to know? <laughs> Fine, I'll tell you. Poland is one. Okay. And then the other one is from Bulgaria. Huh, all right. Yeah, their names are Roman Wardos. He's a 24-year-old auto mechanic. He's the brains of the operation. He's the one from Poland. And then there is his partner, Gancho Genev. Uh-huh. And Gancho is a 38-year-old auto mechanic as well. And he is the muscle of the operation. Now, who is the voice of the operation? We'll get to that. Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> These two men, as I told you, they're political refugees. They had relocated to Lucien, Switzerland. And not being hard men, they uh, as soon as they get popped by the police, they just spill everything. Yeah. They sing like songbirds, so they confessed all their crimes and crimes that they wanted to, con- to commit, right? <laughs> so they lead the officers out, they show them where Charlie Chaplin's body is buried, or rather the, where the coffin is buried. It's not like it's just a pile of bones in a mud hole. Yeah. It's actually a coffin <laughs> there. And then they, they take them a second, though, because they can't remember quite where they buried him, so they have to, like, find the markers. They oh, dig no. one. Not this one. They try another one. No, no, no. This is the one. <laughs> so then they, they finally find the body, right? So Wardas and Genev, they, they take the detectives out to the cornfield, they find the body, then they take the body and they bring it back. They like clean it up. They do whatever. I shouldn't say the body, the coffin. Mm. And then they rinse it all off or whatever. And it turns out it wasn't that far. It was just 10 miles on the other side of Lake Geneva in this little town called Novier or mm-hmm. Noville if in English. Now, <laughs> this, this 10 mile jaunt is as far as Charlie Chaplin had gone, right? So because after they're 
their hole inside of a hole plan failed. Yeah, yeah. They had to go find another place to dig a hole. So they said, 10 miles should be good. Yeah, sure. And that's where they went. So they, after that, Genev, the Bulgarian, he explained to the Swiss police and to the public at large that he was just the muscle. He didn't he didn't think of this plan, right? And he's like, look, they, he tells me we want to dig a hole. I say, I dig a hole. And right? so I'm like, <laughs> no problem, right? And he's like, and also, he's like, this interesting cat because he like admits that he was like uh, totally indifferent about handling uh, Chaplin's coffin, dead body, possibly if he like fell out, if they dropped. He's like, you know, and I quote, I was not bothered about lifting the coffin. Death is not so important where I come from. <laughs> he reminds me of my Eastern European friend's father. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Death is not so important where I come from. Like that's some <laughs> stuff he would say. Yeah, so you're just like, I don't really need to know what yeah. you've seen in your and done in your life, but I really want to know what yeah, you've seen. I'm going to take Bulgaria off my list of places to visit, though, <laughs> just for right now. I know 1978 Bulgaria sounds rough. Yeah, love it. But anyway, so the, this get-rich scheme of theirs that they came up with is because they are political refugees, and mm-hmm. they're political refugees. You know, they basically are fleeing uh, the the Iron Block, the Iron Curtain, because mm-hmm. it's 1978, so yeah. they're trying to get away from the Soviet Union and the like satellite states of Poland and yeah. Bulgaria. And so they search out freedom in Switzerland. I don't know why Switzerland. It's they, neutral. They found that it was a very <laughs> difficult place to get work. So they're like, you know what we should do? Steal the body of the most famous person in town, hold him for ransom. Sure. They're like, yeah, that sounds like a solid plan. So <laughs> this is Wardus's plan. He's like, look, I decided to hide Charlie Chaplin's body and solve my problems. <laughs> that's what he tells the judge. Like, that's his answer. So, and, and by the way, this confession that I just told you, that's what he yeah. says in his trial to the judge at the beginning of the trial. Oh. He just says, like, I did this. Look, man. <laughs> like, I don't have time for Cut to the chase. I did it. So, the trial doesn't take long, and uh, the of course, the guys are found guilty. But there is one interesting point. During the trial, the, the lawyer, the family lawyer, who's been having all of these calls, he's mm-hmm. like... Um, I was just really looking forward to speaking to Mr. Rochat. Uh, I've spoken to him so many times. I was kind of hoping to meet him in person. So at this point, uh, Roman Wardes, the 24-year-old from Poland, he stands up in the witness stand. He goes, good morning. <laughs> this, of course, leads to a big laugh from the courtroom. Oh, sure. The judge even laughs. And, uh, you know, that is the highlight from the court case. After that, the sentence has come down. Wardis gets a four-year sentence. And then Gigatsho Genev, I'm just the muscle. Mm-hmm. He gets 18 months suspended sentence, doesn't do any time in jail. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. Yeah. Now, of the two, one of them sends a letter uh, to Charlie Chaplin's uh, widow, Ona, and actually has his wife sends it. And they, he, <laughs> he's like, I apologize. I don't, I, I feel bad about what I did. It was a terrible thing we did, right? And it's most likely it's uh, Gancho Ganev's wife. We don't know yeah. exactly which one, but it's I like, think it's Gancho's. P.S. Can I have $50,000? <laughs> By the way, how how are you? You look good white right now. Are you sitting on anything? So she, but she writes back. She's a nice about this, right? She writes back. She's like, look. <laughs> nice about it. This is a quote. Look, I have nothing especially against you and all is forgiven. Oh. That's it, right? Look. Yeah. Now, if you're wondering what happened to Charlie Chaplin's body. Sure. Which I know you are. Don't lie. Yeah, I know I am. Right? It gets reburied. Well, I would hope so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they just left it out well, on the side decided, of the like, road. They decided, like, we're going to cremate it now. Or, like, no, they right. decided, let's rebury it. But to guard against any future thefts, just like with Abraham Lincoln's body, they ditch it in the ground, cover it with cement. Yeah, that makes That's sense. That's the move, apparently. That is. That is. Now, in the spot where Chaplin's body was briefly interred, the farmer raises a little plaque, and it said something about how Charlie Chaplin once rested there ever so briefly. <laughs> 
Does he have like souvenirs you can buy? <laughs> exactly. Charlie Chaplin <laughs> slept here. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> so at, the, at one point, Una had one other comment, which she said, in a way, it's a shame we found him. Like, it would have been nice to leave him in the cornfield. Like, oh, it would have been happy to have him it. exactly yeah. just out there where nobody knew where he was in a beautiful spot yeah. overlooking Lake Geneva. I like it. Instead, we have, we get left with, I don't know, what is it? The, the Swiss version of Field of Dreams, yeah, which is like, true. if you bury it, they will come. <laughs> so, now, of course, a film was made of this because this story is just so filmable. In really? 2014, the film was called The Price of Fame. It featured uh, Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter, also his son, Eugene. He got a part. He played mm-hmm. a, a circus. The guy who runs the circus. So <laughs> wait, there was a circus involved in that. Yeah, because you know Charlie Chaplin. He was he was he, when he was young. He must have been in a circus. Oh, so it was it was just his life story, not just, just the story of the body theft. Or it's the story of the body theft, and there was a circus involved. We don't know because we didn't watch the movies. <laughs> <laughs> way to research, Burnett. I didn't say. Hey, I'm telling the story here. They told their story. I'm telling this one. <laughs> I go out of my way every time I'm going to tell a story, and there's a movie involved to not watch it. Do you really? Yeah. I've gone back and forth. It depends on the movie. Sometimes I watch the movie and sometimes I don't. In this case, I didn't because the reviews were all so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest. (laughs) You know. But in the movie, apparently the men who steal his dad's body, according to Eugene, they're they're portrayed as lovable idiots, which is a perfect comic duo in the spirit that his father would have loved. Oh, yeah. He actually said that it was the kind of story his dad would have loved. Nice. Right? So there you go. There's your happy ending. Dad would have loved the story of his body being stolen. (laughs) Excellent. So, Elizabeth, what's our ridiculous takeaway? Well, okay. I think that the ridiculous takeaway is that I really wish we had access to, like, the notes that these goofballs uh, put together. Not just these guys, but all of the kind of wacky extortion capers and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I want to know... What other ideas they had before they came to? <laughs> what was their plan oh, B look, that they guys, said, not this one, this listen, is the winner? Listen, gather around. We're stealing a body. <laughs> this is a lock. You cannot go wrong. It's like, how often have there been body thefts with, like, successful ransoms? <laughs> you know, it's not like this the- long history of, now look, this is a surefire way. This is a blue chip crime here, <laughs> folks. So I really want to know. Ponzi scheme, body theft. These I, are the crimes that work. I want to know what was on their crime vision board before they got to steal a body. <laughs> They're like, can we pull all of the metal out of all of the houses in town? <laughs> and so, Nope, too much labor. <laughs> steal one body. I like it. We I'm going to tie a giant magnet to a huge bunch of balloons and have it drift over <laughs> Picking the up loose bank, change. And it's going to lift all the gold. They're like, yeah, the gold is not it's magnetic. Not magnetic. Oh. Ah, take that, take that. that uh, off the board, off the off board. Off the board. Okay. All right, next. Saul, what was your other idea? <laughs> <laughs> my what? ridiculous takeaway, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, well, I was about to. I was just I, like, my mouth was like, what? And you're like, oh, hey, listen, it's my, it's all about me, so. I'll just tell you this right now here off the stage, Elizabeth. <laughs> Harold Lloyd. See, nobody would do this to Harold Lloyd because they respect him because they know he's the best. <laughs> no, for real, uh, that's not my ridiculous takeaway. But Orson Welles would agree with me. Yes. But my for real ridiculous takeaway mm-hmm. is that Una Chaplin was right. She basically had your vibe, which is you didn't steal my husband. Yeah. You, you stole some bodily remains. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter to me because whatever he did on earth, 
people still love him yeah. for it. And whatever he did with me and our family, I still have that love. And he's still here in my family. And in my children's eyes, I see my husband. Oh, yeah. So she knew where he was. He's with her all so, the time. Exactly. So it's like, look, you can have the body, have the bones, bury him, play with him. I don't care. <laughs> it's all you guys. Take the body, you freaks. But the spirit lived on elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. So there you go. That's mine. That's a good takeaway. Yeah, it's like the Dirt Worshipper's Guide to Spirituality. <laughs> I like that. But anyway, thank you for joining us. I'm Zaren Burnett. I'm Zaren Burnett. And over there is Zaren Burnett. Yeah, Zaren. You can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. If you got a tip for us about a ridiculous crime you'd like to hear about, tell us. You want to confess to a ridiculous crime? Mm-hmm. Hit us up. Email us at ridiculouscrime at mm-hmm. gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Bye. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Chief Soil Scientist Dave Couston. Research is by celebrity gossip maven Marissa Brown. The theme song is by Thomas. I'll bring my own shovel, Lee and Travis. Never met a mud hole I didn't like. Dutton. Executive producers are Charlie Chaplin Truther, Ben Bolin, and Noel. I don't know. I prefer Buster Keaton. Brown. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.